Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. This is part two of my interview with John Seforic, the author of The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son, and really, it's just lessons on prosperity for anybody and everybody, regardless of who you are and your age. This is an incredible book. If you didn't listen to part one, I strongly suggest you stop this episode, go back, listen to part one of my interview with John and the book, The Wealthy Gardener. It is chock full of great information and it continues to stack on top of each other and get better and better. But the book is a great book. It's written in a story format, but it's built on 55 principles and lessons that are great for you and for your children and their children and so on and so on, because principles are timeless. The book is brilliant. It's a heartwarming story full of practical wisdom on entrepreneurship and wealth. So each lesson just unfolds as the story goes on and it just builds on top of each other. So I was taken back and touched by it. And I had some great conversations with John outside of the interview. And all of that just shows through in the interview that I had with him. So without further ado, let us get on to part two of my interview with John Seforic, and I hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think of it. Your book is full of lessons. I think there's 55, is that correct? 55 lessons? Yeah, on the powers of wealth, sure, that alone. So what people might not realize as they're listening to you and I have this conversation is that we've already covered a small number of the lessons that you go into in the book. You know, we're talking about it conversationally and not laying it out in bullet point form, but this is kind of how the book unfolds. And we're going to talk about a few more of them here. One thing that I, I say often, I know I've told my wife this, and I've certainly told my daughter, is that I never want to be average because being average in the U.S. is being broke. <laughs> and I don't want to be there. But you talk about this lesson of being unrealistic so my question to you is, why do you say that it is impossible for an average person to achieve wealth? Because I wrote a book for my son, Marco, okay? If you're writing a book for your son, you want to give the harshest truths. You want to give the truth. I wasn't writing a book that I wanted to say, okay, I'm going to try to massage the mass population. I'm going to try to make people feel good. And hopefully that'll help me sell a book. I need him to know the truth. All right. This is all an unintended consequence. Me speaking to you, what an honor it is. Thank you. But I didn't intend this. I intended to give him the truth. And the, one of the truths that he needs to understand fundamentally upfront is that you must be different. Being average in our society is dangerous. You have to be an outlier of our culture. Why is wealth impossible for average people? You know, I think we have to define wealth, right? So, you know, a common formula, at least that I used, was always your retirement income times 25 equals the amount of money you need in the, in the bank. You know, it's just a generalized idea. But let's say, what is wealth? For me, I needed to have $100,000, I said, for me to feel wealthy, for me to retire. Okay, $100,000, going back to the formula, times 25, that's 2.5 million. I don't make up these numbers. 2.5 million is the number for me to have $100,000 in my retirement. 
So let's talk about the average man now, the average man in life. Let's say this guy's 30. He has a family. He's got two kids, has a wife. Okay, the average man in our world has very little savings, has an average income. He's busy over his head. The kids keep him busy. He works 40 to 50 hours a week. And you know what? Everybody's tired. Everybody's bone tired. And at the end of the month, there's maybe $500 to 1000 on a good month. And on a bad month, there's nothing. So help me solve this riddle. How does that person, how does that guy get $2.5 million in the bank living that life? Well, I'll tell you, I can speak for that man because that man was me. That was me at 30. That was my scenario, my context of life. I was the average guy in the middle class with the circumstances that everybody says, I can't get out of this. I was there too, okay? So I can speak from experience. It's impossible. You can't do it. Don't talk to me about compounding. It's not going to happen. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is look at average statistics, right? So what is the average savings of average people? It's 172000 at the age of 65. All right, that's a far cry from 2.5 million. So it's not an opinion. It's just not going to happen. So then the question is, what's the only way for this to work? Because I did it. I started there. I did it. How's that possible? That's really the million dollar question, right? And in my opinion, the only way, the only way to rise to wealth is ownership. You cannot do it any other way. You have to get yourself transitioned from a consumer to an owner of stuff. And an owner of things that have passive cash flow, passive income, things that you talk about on your podcast, and I resonate with when you speak of this, because you're speaking my language now. There's no other way. There's a quote about luck. And luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that preparation is a pile of cash when opportunity knocks. It's having your money. It's being ready. I get this question nonstop from young people. They always say, how can I get into rentals? You know, I see what you're doing. That looks exciting. You know, they watch the shows on TV. It looks like a great adventure. I said, fantastic, man. I'm glad you have ambition. I love people with ambition. Follow your ambition. How much money do you have in the bank? Let's talk about that. The answer is always nothing. Now, I understand that there might be people that buy things with no money down. I can speak from my experience in my area. No money down properties are the crumbs at the table. It's the worst of the worst houses. They're desperate. And so I'm not saying that's everywhere. I don't know everywhere. I can speak from my own experience only. And what I've done where I am is the best properties. Well, they come with bank loans and they come with a little bit of money down. The owners, they can hold off. They're not going to be desperate. Why would they be? They have great properties that we want, right? And so how do you get money? Well, let's go back to some timeless principles. Let's talk about using some free hours for earning. Let's talk about extra time, side hustles, call it what you want. But yeah, there is no forward progress. There is no money in the bank without extra earning. And I'm telling you, money in the bank is really important if you want to buy some rentals, if you want to buy a car wash, laundromat, whatever your gig is. So it's impossible unless you get into ownership. And ownership's impossible in my world unless you prove yourself worthy. William Clement Stone once said, It's a harsh thing. I told my son this. William Clement Stone once said that if you don't have the ability to save, the seeds of achievement are not in you. It's not politically popular, is it? But I sometimes think that the harsh realities get us moving and put a fire under us. And 
I wanted the truth. I didn't want to feel good. I, tell me how it is and I'll, I'll take it from there. That's the advice I gave my son. Sometimes people need to hear the harsh reality. They need to hear the things that are maybe not politically correct. And, you know, I'm not a big believer in sugarcoating things to make them politically correct. You just need to say things the way they are and be right up front about it and truthful because that's sometimes the only way to get through people's skull and get them to realize <laughs> the lesson that they need to hear. And hopefully they learn from it and take action. Because if you don't put it straight, if you don't get it straight, you're going to be in the same spot you are today that you were five years ago. Yeah, delusion gets you nowhere. I have seen that sometimes people can't get through my book. I can say that it is a direct. I hear this all the time. It's, it's very direct. It put a fire under my butt. It's a real kick in the pants. I hear these terms all the time, right? So when I hear somebody like you, where you say, I got through it, what I've found is that I was surprised to find how many successful people come back and tell me and talk to me about the book, the feedback from successful people. Like you're giving a podcast, right? On, on a getting ahead, passive income. You would think that most of your audience is going to be people that are really struggling and need things and they're in financial pain. Sometimes the audience is really successful people. It's like they're gym members who are already in shape and they're looking to get in better shape. They're just ambitious. And that's what I found with my book. They can handle it. Not everybody can. And I can't help you if you can't. This is my story. All I can tell you is this is what I told my son. And that's sacred to me. Well, the reality is, is that success and freedom, those two things don't come easy. And for some people, they want the easy road. They want the quick pill to get to where they want to get to as fast as possible, but success and freedom don't come easy. They require dedication, hard work, and they require focus. So you talk about this. What is the real sacrifice that is required to become financially free? In my opinion, again, it's coming from my world. One of the things people don't like to hear is that I have a very strong opinion that going to a job 40 hours a week is commendable. I value that. You know, I'm a worker, but I don't call that a sacrifice. Okay. A sacrifice is something we have an option to do or to not do. See, we don't have a choice to not work 40 hours a week. That's part of being alive on planet Earth, okay? That's the basic minimal requirement for food, shelter, and, and taking care of your kids. And that, you know, in terms of that statistic we said, that's $172,000 at 65. Those people go to work. So that's not where you get ahead, in my opinion. Sacrifice is found in your free hours, okay? It's found in the optional hours of life. But keep in mind, we're not talking about digging ditches. We're not in coal mines like my grandfather was. You know, we're just talking about engaging our time. We just have to get our time engaged and use time with more purpose and more aim. Bill Gates once said that we overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. I've always found myself that five years is a sweet spot for me. And the reason it's a sweet spot for me is because it's a long enough time to change everything. You can transform your entire life, every aspect of it, in five years. But it's a short enough time that we can actually manage. I think 10 years starts to get a little bit far out for people. I'll give you an example of that. I have a sister. Well, she's a cousin. She's so close. I call her my sister. We're really close. She graduated with a business degree at the same college I graduated from. She came out. She went into a small business in my local area. She worked for two years and she found herself to be really unfulfilled. 
there was a ceiling. There was no progress. And people were happier with direction in life. And she was stopped already after just two years. So now she has a challenge, right? What do you do? Do you just get in line and start bemoaning your fate and say, man, I wish I would have chosen something else? Or, or do, you, do you dig deep and say, listen, okay, I'm the captive of my fate if I'm willing to sacrifice some of my free hours. What do you do? These are the moments of life. And so she went back to school. She went back to school to get an MBA. So now she's married. She's working 40 hours a week. She's going to school at night. And when she's not going to school, not attending class, she's studying. But then she starts running out of money because school MBA costs a lot of money, right? So now she had to get a job as a waitress, part-time waitress. So now she's going to her job 40 hours a week. She's going to school. She's studying for school. And she's a part-time waitress. That's an all-out obsession. That's giving your life for a cause. But the cause can give you your life. She went back and she did this year after year. Fast forward just five years from when she started. She's working in a Pittsburgh now. She's working in a big multinational company. She rises into the company and becomes the Northeast director of that department. She travels her whole life to cool places around the world. And that was always an inclination, a drive for her. She always wanted to see the world. And I say, man, where would you be if you didn't give that five years? That's what's necessary. It's not everything. And I think sometimes people get trapped because they think that it's just so big. And so they never get started. I think people underestimate what can happen in five years. The success of life does take sacrifice, but sacrifice is temporary and the results, they're permanent. And it's my belief that ambitious people will sacrifice if they know it's not forever. They just have to know the deal. Set your goals for five years and stop there. That's how I live my life. Yeah. And, and that takes discipline. And, and to quote you, I believe this was right from the book. You said, we don't need more information. We need more discipline to behave in a manner that leads to monetary accumulation. <laughs> you know what? It's so much like dietary habits. Let's say like, we know what to do, but do we do it? It's like a health. We know what to do. Do we do it? You notice I don't get a lot of personal finance. I don't really think that's the challenge of the game. I do understand we have to have delayed gratification. We understand all that stuff. We have to spend less and earn more. We, I don't spend a lot of time there. I think the challenge is all about our behavior. Financial behavior, that's where it's all started, all stopped. Emotional control, that's the game of getting wealthy. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So in kind of winding this down a bit, I like the idea of being passionate about things. It's great to be passionate about things and get up in the morning and have that drive and excitement to get on with whatever you do. You talk about challenges. Why do you say that passion is overrated and it's even dangerous advice? I think a lot of people would have a hard time understanding why you would say that. <laughs> so here's me being impolitical, <laughs> non-kind to everybody. So I see two camps these days, right? You have the passion camp. Do what you love. Follow your passion. There's another camp out there. This is the plowing camp. They say, plow the fields and shut up and earn money like the rest of us, right? I've been on both sides. In my early life, I read a book called Do What You Love. The Money Will Follow. And it convinced me at the time that life should be without its fair share of troubles. Work should be a joy. There should be, there's a soulmate out there working, waiting for you. And if you find that soulmate, 
well, your life is made. A man with a job he loves will never work another day in his life, right? It's a utopia. I didn't find life to be quite that idealistic. I do think that we choose problems in a job. And I believe Malcolm Forbes, who says that if you have a job without aggravations, you don't have a job. But we have a choice about what problems we choose. And I think we are all inclined toward a certain set of problems we can fix, we can adapt ourselves to. And I think that some people are lucky. Honestly, I I look at you, I listen to your podcast. I would venture to say that you, Marco, are lucky. Your passion is real estate. Like I can see that how you speak. Well, lucky you, because real estate makes money, right? That's really fortunate. But what about the person whose passion doesn't quite make the money who goes down that route? I'm telling you, those, those people end up with results that they don't really find to be too passionate down the road. And eventually we find out that income does matter for our lifestyle satisfaction. There is an income down approach to this whole thing. You can't say there's a set of problems out here that work. I want to find the most suitable set of problems for me, but I want those problems to give me back. I want to give to my job, but I need that job to give back to me. I need income. Eventually, we all come to understand this is important. Work is a friend. It's supposed to be a steady, sober relationship that we can trust. We give to it. It gives back to us. One of my best friends from childhood is a perfect example. Just like the rest of us, he went to school. He was considering becoming a pharmacist. It's a pretty good career. But for him, he said, you know, there's an income ceiling here. I don't think I like that. I want to try to find a different job with an occupation, possibly with higher pay that I could like just as easily. And so he was looking around. He went for the income down approach. He became an orthodontist. Orthodontistry is the business, but you got to have a lot of intelligence to get into it. So he became an orthodontist. He's now the richest and most fulfilled person I know. No question about it. He earns quadruple what I earn every week and he works half as much. And you know, it's not that he's out there killing himself. He actually loves what he does. He commits himself to it. He's created a sense of mastery in his craft and he feels good about himself. It's all good, but he started with the income down approach, right? And I'm not sure it's wrong to do that. I think that we can find maybe my son, let's say I wrote the book for my son. He's into finance. He likes finance. He's a banker, right? He goes into finance. He's making a lot of money, but that's a passion to him. He's lucky. And so, I think it's safer for us to forget about a search for a soulmate out there in this thing called work. I think sometimes what we need is one good friend, and that friend may just turn into the love of our lives. We just have to spend time with the things that give back to us. And so that's what I'm saying with beware of following passion too much. You might suck at passion, whatever your passion is, and it might not make no any money, and you might have kids someday. So think about that. That's all. So at what, at what point does passion actually become dangerous? When do you think it's dangerous advice? It's dangerous advice, Marco. Like if getting ahead is, is your goal, it can be dangerous if you're the unlucky ones who like to do something that doesn't earn, okay? There's a need for what you do, right? Or there's not a need for what you do. The world kind of gives back to you based on the need for what you do, how well you do what you do, those kind of things, how many people you serve. I was listening to Gary Keller, the one thing, right? Interesting guy. And he was saying that he always looks in his businesses and says, which ones are working, which ones aren't. And he closes the ones that aren't. 
what a novel idea. In business, we do this, right? So I understand the idea of, of wanting to be an actress, but what are you going to tell your kids? I understand the idea of dreaming. I would say that I'm getting tongue-tied right now <laughs> <laughs> because there is a practical aspect of life. I do know that when you hit your 30s, you're going to find lifestyle satisfaction to be very important. Lifestyle satisfaction does come from your payments and your household income. I fought that all my life. So I'm a lot happier when I'm on, I'm on top of the money situation. So I can only speak from my own experience. I think it's dangerous when you follow it down a road and you expect it to lean to wealth and you have other people relying on you. And it's just not going there. There is a time to abandon ship, I think. Yeah. Well, you, you've been talking about time and then you, you're talking about your 30s now. And, and it seems that it's this concept that you talk about what, that you call the arc of your journey to financial freedom. Can you talk about that? I think that might be of great interest to our entire audience. In terms of what I did in my 30s, you mean? Well, just talk about the arc of your journey to financial freedom. Like I said in, in the introduction, it was about those 20s and the 30s and the 40s. And, you know, it was just a growth period. You know, I, for me, it was all about getting stronger. Let me tell you this story. Imagine me at 20. At the age of 20, imagine I walk out of the house and I'm unprepared for what's outside, but I know that it's my time. This is my time to take on the world. Like I'm of age, I'm 20 years old. And so I walk out of the house and I have to go out to work now. And I want to go out to work. I'm eager toward life. And so I go out and I climb a mountain. I go to the other side of the mountain. I found out that what my job is, is that of a battler. I'm a warrior on the other side of this mountain. Every day, I have to fight the same opponent, okay? It's the same stubborn opponent. And this guy's strong. And in my 20s, I just don't have the strength. I don't have the skill. I don't have the strategy for wealth. I don't even know what I'm doing. But I show up day after day and I take a butt whooping nonstop every day of my life. And this happens through my entire 20s. And to my credit, I just don't give up. I just keep showing up. But I come home every night with battle scars. All right. So the 30s roll around. The 30s roll around. Now I have a family and I'm walking out the door. I go over the mountain. I come down. My family doesn't even know what I'm doing. But I come back at eight o'clock at night now. And I come back a little more beat up when I left in the morning. But there's a difference to the 30s. The 30s, I have a little bit more of an erect posture. You can see that I'm taking a beating, but I'm not taking the killing beating that was in my 20s. Because when you fight enough and you battle enough, what happens is you gain a little bit of skill. You start to understand the strategies of battle. You start to get a little bit of competence for the first time in your life. And it starts to feel good because you're not losing every day. At least it's an even battle. I take a butt whooping. But you know that's the stubborn opponent on the other side of the mountain? I'm giving him a good old-fashioned butt whooping as well. It's an even fight now. I'm losing and I'm winning. And it's even. By the 40s, it rolls around. And you know what? I start to have more mastery. I understand the mindset of wealth. I understand the strength of fighting, the fortitude that's necessary to fight 10 or 12-hour days sometimes. I understand that if I take a whack, I'm going to give one back. And I understand this, what I'm after. You know? So my time is used well, not only because I'm more focused on that, but because I'm a better person. I'm stronger inside. I've gone through a growth period all my life. And because of that, I've become a stronger battler. Right, And so... The day arrives when I come over that mountain and I face that opponent one more time and I take my sword and I give a final whack at that guy. And you know what happens? 
He doesn't get up. But the first time I look at this guy and I sit there and wait because of course he's going to get up, but he doesn't. And it's over. The game is over. And so I walk back over the mountain, back to my house. I sit on my sofa and for the first time in a long time, I can think. And instead of a sense of elation, instead of this big celebration, what I really feel is relief. I'm just tired. Thank God that whole battle is over. I didn't even know I was going to be fighting this all my life, right? Well, just that time, my son starts walking toward the door. And I see that he's dressed in armor and he's carrying his own sword. And I say, Mike, where are you going? He says, Dad, don't you know? I'm 20 years old. It's time for me to go out and battle now. I'm going to go over the mountain. I'm going to fight my own battle. And so I'm sitting there. And of course, what we're talking about, the opponent he's talking about, is the financial condition of life. We all have it. I don't care who you are and where you come from. That is one of the common aspects to being human. He's about ready to go out there and fight that battle. And here I am with all the lessons of a battler. And so I sit there and I say, Mike, come over here and sit with me. I need to talk to you. I need to tell you what I've learned over this last 30 years. I want to tell you how to struggle. I want, to, I want you to understand the fight. I want to, the, the strategies that you're going to get into. I want you to know what I've learned over all these years. And just maybe, just maybe, you won't have a 30-year-old battle like me. And that's my life. That's why I wrote The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. That's beautiful. I love that story. And that's exactly how I feel about the knowledge that I've gained over the years and the experience that I've accumulated. I want to pass that on, spoon feed my daughter with it, but also share that with the world. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast and bringing guys like you on is just to share that wisdom and knowledge. Let me just say this. You are exceptional. I did send my book out to you. I sent my book out to you and three others. You are exceptional in what you do. And I think that the reason I guarantee you, everybody listening right now listens to you because you're authentic. You're one of the voices in the world of finance that isn't out for something other. I mean, you're doing it right and you can just feel it. You can feel your soul. And so that's what I was after in my own book. I wanted something pure. And I can tell you that the story that I just told you right there, that's one of the few times I told it without breaking down. I was practicing this with my wife. I said, I don't know if I'm going to tell this, man. I, <laughs> when my son's walking out the door, I pause. I start sobbing. It's like, it gets me. Like, that's the heart of a, a father, you know? And that's what went into the book, you know? So there's no question you're the real deal, Marco. And, and we all do appreciate you. I really appreciate that. You're too kind. So just wrapping up here, you made me think of something. I think this was a past president that said this, you learn in your 30s and earn in your 40s. And, you know, that's really kind of a two decade span, but you're talking about it in three decades, you know, the 20s, 30s and 40s. It really doesn't matter whether it's your teens, your 20s, your 30s. I think the point there is that everybody goes through this arc in a journey and the power And the magic is when you can learn from other people's experiences and lessons and knowledge and take that in as early as possible when you have time on your side and be able to accelerate the speed that you achieve your goals because you are piggybacking on other people's success and experience and systems and learning from their success and their mistakes. Today, it's so much easier to do that with technology and the internet and podcasting than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so there's really no excuse to be able to achieve your goals in a faster speed than your parents and your parents' parents and so on. 
It's a double-edged sword, no doubt about it. Like what you said is exactly true. I always say that the internet is amazing. It's amazing for our ability to put it to good use. Man, it is so amazing as well to put it to bad use. And it's a double-edged sword. I'm right now reading a biography, talking about always reading, always learning. I'm reading a biography on Thomas Edison. And when Thomas Edison was developing film, he was so excited because he knew this would transform education. It would bring education, the greatest ideas of the world, to the everyday man. Little did he know, little did he know what it was really going to turn into. And he despised the idea of just sitting there and being entertained by it. Thomas Edison was a big developer of that film. So excited. And he ended up creating something that took people's minds and put them on something else, right? But the internet is just like that. It's just such good. I mean, I listen to you. I've already achieved what I wanted to achieve in life, you know, financially, right? But I don't get tired of hearing great truths. I'm quite frankly, I'm not happy unless I am learning. And so it can become a positive addiction. So that's what it does for me. Well, let's wrap it up. One last question. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners in wrapping this up? I, th- I think you wanted to talk about relationships or at least your lesson in relationships. I think that's a great place to end. Absolutely. It's something we're all going to face, especially those with ambition. What I would tell somebody, what I, how I'd wrap it up with final thoughts. One, spend time daily with your goals. Don't just pass by what, what you said earlier, what I said, and surround those with insane faith. Don't just let those be words that that go by. You know, like that is so important. That is narrowing your potential. That you're, I mean, you're you're harnessing your potential when you use goals like that. Focus them on something, and then I say, learn continuously. There's no limit to what we can learn, and it's the only way out. I came from the middle class, and I can see that, like the differences between me and others, a lot of times came from the book Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, and all the books that followed that. I couldn't write a book on lessons if I didn't educate myself. So educate yourself. That's the way out. I promise anyone listening to this that I could find a wealthy person and put them exactly in the circumstances and the conditions of anybody out there listening, and they'd rise to wealth, right? It's due to their knowledge. And that's not to put down anybody. That's to give you hope and to say that, look, it's about knowledge. And you have something to do for that. I was able to achieve my goals only because I, I learned. Last, I say it's so important to speak openly to your family. Wealth requires sacrifice, no doubt about it. But your family wants you to win. It's your job to be vulnerable, to tell them your fears, to tell them your dreams. There is not a moment when my kids didn't know exactly what my financial condition was. I say, guys, this is what I'm facing. I want you to know it so that you're prepared for adulthood. This is why I'm sacrificing. This is why I'm putting my hours out there. My kids had a great education by just watching me. I explained everything and I didn't stand on some pedestal near them. I was very vulnerable and I I treated them like equals as I did my wife. She didn't resent anything. She knew why I was doing it and she supported me. And I say that if, if they don't support you, I would say you look to yourself. Communication is so important. Be a conscious communicator with people. Help them understand your why and how it will benefit them. Definitely. Relationships can really mess you up if you just become self-centered and ambitious. But if you share it with them, and what a great education it can be for your family. 
Yeah. And that's the way I feel about it. I think the added benefit that you might not have mentioned there is the potential accountability that it gives you when you share your goals. Now, all of a sudden you've exposed yourself and you might feel accountable to achieving them. Otherwise you're going to say, well, Hey, I I was a failure. I said I was going to do this, but I never did it. (laughs) Well, you know what? The common refrain is from parents is, you know, son, you know, daughter, I want you to live your best life. I want you to go for it. Dreams are possible. Well, what does it look like if you're saying that, but you yourself aren't sacrificing, you yourself don't have direction? I wanted my kids to know what I was doing and see what I was doing. That was crucial. Yeah. Everyone around me sees that I work hard, a lot harder, probably two and a half times as hard as the average Joe, if you will. And I used to wear that as a badge of honor. And now it's really, I don't want to be working that hard. I I want to peel things back and scale back so things are more passive, especially on the income side. So I'm actually closing down some of the businesses that I have because they're just too time consuming. Let me ask you this. In your area, do people make comments about that or do they just leave you alone about the work ethic, the workload and the work ethic? Do you hear from people? Yeah. Commonly, people will say it's admirable and impressive how hard you work, like you're a workaholic, you work hard, you're successful, and you continue to be more successful and all these things. And I don't know if they're truly genuine or if they're just complimentary or if they're just superficial comments. But like I said, there was a time where I thought being busy was a good thing because you wear it like a badge of honor. And it's like, if you're busy, that must mean you're successful. But now I'm starting to think just the opposite. If you're too busy all the time, then it's really a bad thing. You've painted yourself into a corner where you don't have a choice. You're stuck in everything that you've built around you and you can't get away and you don't actually have that freedom. Maybe you have the financial freedom, but you don't now you don't have the time freedom. And for me, they're both very important. In fact, the time freedom is even more important. So you have to have both. Absolutely. And the, the reason I was asking you is because where I came from, I tell you, I always tell people, this is the middle class, you know, and I love, I love the middle class. There's good, solid, salt of the earth people here, the good people. Okay. But they don't have the same ambitions that I did. I was kind of a, a unicorn in my environment. And I would hear things like not so complimentary when people say, you know, money won't make you happy. And you know, there's more important things in life than money out there, John. And you know, you got to live through the day. You work too much. And you can't take it with you. You really want to be the richest man in the cemetery. I think I was making a lot of people uncomfortable sometimes because they see me working and progressing. And so I think a lot of people can identify with that. And I was always curious to see, is that just my place or is that everywhere? I wasn't sure, you know, but I, I had to always resist the ideas of kind of some negativity. Maybe the tribe wanting me to stay like them and normalize their behaviors. I don't know. But I had to fight through a lot of that stuff and close my mouth and just mind my own business. Well, you you know what happens when you are one of the crabs in a bucket of crabs and you're trying to get out of the bucket, all the other crabs are going to grab at you and pull you back into the bucket. So people want you to be more like them, not to be different, because then it puts you in a different place and they become uncomfortable. But if you're going to live your life that way, you're always going to be like all the other crabs in the bucket. You're going to be that average person. I can tell you, Marco, that for me to overcome being that crab, to get away from all those other crabs, I had to tell myself, okay, John, wealth is your way to impact the world. You can do this. You know, the more money you have, the more people you can help. You can use your full potential more if you have more money. You're working for protection and providing for your family. I had to get new belief systems. I had to continually put that into my head. And I don't know if that's normal or not. 
for everybody in the country. But I was fighting those crabs nonstop. And so I had to do something. And that goes back to Napoleon Hill. Beware of negative suggestions of family and friends. It can kill you. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. John, we could talk for hours, <laughs> but at some point you just got to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, we've covered enough. So at this point, I think we're going to just basically wrap it up. But I'm going to encourage people listening to this to get a copy of your book, whether it's the audio book or the paperback. In fact, you just released a revised and expanded edition, if I'm not mistaken. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and or get more information? Where can they find the book? I think it's one of those mandatory must-have books on your bookshelf. Well, thank you for saying that. Like I said, kudos right back at you. I'll always be a follower. Wealthygardener.com. That's the website. Easy to remember. Wealthygardener.com. And I would suggest this. In terms of plugging a product, there's just something special about the audiobook. It's different. The paperback and the hardback, there's no question. They serve as a reference book for a lot of people, the Wealthy Gardener. But I'm telling you, I found Dennis Kleinman. I made him do this audio. I would not allow him to not do this audio. And he nailed it. He's the perfect person. He's got this soul. And there's just something magical about the audio book when it's my words coming through Dennis and his words. And I can tell you that what I love about that man is... He told me that when he was making that book, when he was doing the audiobook, he broke down and cried a couple of times. And I just will thank him and for the rest of his life for that. Because the author, me, writing a book to my son, I promise you, I broke down and cried a few times. And so when you get the audiobook, you're getting a lot of heart. And I just love Dennis and he, he brought it home. So if you could get one or the other, I would say start with the audio. I'm selling something that's not even completely mine because I love Dennis's version. I have to agree with you. In fact, I even told you this the last time we spoke that the voiceover, the voice talent you got for the audiobook nailed it. Because it's a story, you can hear the passion in his voice. He's just got that voice that can tell a story like this just the right way. It's very entertaining to listen to his voice. So I highly recommend the audiobook. Absolutely. Sometimes things come together and they're just bigger than the parts. And actually, Penguin came and bought the book and they liked the audio so much. They said, you know what? No changes. We don't want to mess with the magic. <laughs> so that's an <laughs> awesome compliment. And I love Dennis. I'm just a fantastic man. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. John, thank you so much for all the time you spent with us today. This has been entertaining, enlightening, and inspiring. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy the audiobook or the book, whatever they end up getting. So thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do for all of us, Marco. We all appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you and thank you for everything you've done. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed this two-part interview with John and his amazing story in the book, The Wealthy Gardener. I felt bad going as long as I did in the interview, but I just couldn't stop listening to what he had to say. And I know we could have talked for hours, but anyway, I'm glad I had him on and I've had some great conversations with him. He's really just an authentic and genuine person. And I really appreciate him taking the time to come on the show. So we're going to wrap it up here and just close things out. If you are new to the show, remember to subscribe. If you haven't downloaded our ultimate guide to passive real estate investing, 
It's a free download on our websites. Just go to noradarealestate.com or passiverealestateinvesting.com and you can find the link and the form to download that on both of the websites. Get your free strategy session with our investment counselors if you're thinking about investing in real estate or if you're looking to expand your portfolio. There's all kinds of great possibilities out there. Help us spread the word about the show. Visit us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. I greatly appreciate it. So I'm going to thank you in advance. And yes, I do read all of them. If you have any questions about real estate investing, you can click Ask Marco at the top of the PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website. I will do my best to get to all of them in due time. I am currently traveling a lot and flooded with emails. So I need to kind of dig myself out of that hole, if you will. But that's about it. So again, I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. Let's continue this show and we will see you on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.